You're listening to the official Travel Through History podcast. We're the producers. I'm Joe. And I'm John. If you haven't heard our story yet, go back to the first episode. We kind of give you a little breakdown of how this all started. In the meantime, the voice of the show, Jillian, will take you to our next destination. Take it away, Jillian. Forget a mile high. Like a comet, we'll soar up to nearly 7,000 feet to a place where the view of the sky and our imagination lie unobstructed. Welcome to Flagstaff, Arizona. Flagstaff may better be known for its majestic neighbor, the Grand Canyon, but this is no rest stop. This is a must-see destination full of amazing scientific discovery, extreme adventure, and ancient history. 50,000 years ago, a gigantic meteor struck the Earth here with the force of 150 atom bombs. Luckily, this perfectly preserved massive meteor impact site is here to be discovered today by you. Stardate 1930, a 23-year-old astronomer at the Lowell Observatory came back from lunch and discovered Pluto. We'll see how the scientists at Lowell continue their founder's work, searching the heavens one faint dot at a time. Later, we'll defy gravity once again as we swing from the treetops at Flagstaff Extreme Treetop Adventure Course. Do not look down. Finally, we'll get a hands-on look at the culture of the American Southwest, its native human inhabitants, and some of its former very large non-human inhabitants at the Museum of Northern Arizona. Let's salute the flag of a small American town that when it comes to its attractions is quite grand. On today's Travel Through History, Flagstaff Edition. Arizona, you probably think of a dry, hot desert. Maybe there's some tumbleweed in there. But today we're showing you a different Arizona. One with four seasons, high altitude, and gigantic alpine forests. Flagstaff is a classic western railroad town formed by hardscrabble pioneers making their way out west. In 1855, Lieutenant Edward Beale surveyed a road from the Rio Grande in New Mexico to Fort Tejone in California and camped near the current location of Flagstaff. Flagstaff is really a railway and lumber town. Hi, my name is Heather Anardi. I'm the Marketing and Public Relations Manager at the Flagstaff Convention and Visitors Bureau. Lieutenant Beale actually used this as one of his scouting routes across the U.S. and a lot of people came through this area on their way to California. In fact, one of those parties that was traveling across the U.S. was camping near a spring. And in celebration of our Independence Day, they happened to take a pine tree, strip it of its bark, and raise a flag. That pole became the Flagstaff. And so Flagstaff got its name. But the real settlement occurred in the 1880s when the railroad came through. In Flagstaff, you can also get your kicks on Route 66 that famous 2,400-mile stretch of road from Chicago to L.A. The city kept its Main Street USA roots. Route 66 is that iconic family trip across the United States. 
So you'll get in the car and drive with your family and enjoy a great time. And Flagstaff is that town. Arizona still has the longest stretch of original alignment of Route 66. And in fact, you'll see in those towns, we still call it Route 66. You may be in Arizona, but let me stress that this is no Phoenix. We're two hours north of Phoenix and a huge landscape away. Phoenix is at 1,400 feet in elevation. Flagstaff is at 7,000 feet. So Flagstaff experiences all four seasons, which is very unique in Arizona. In the winter, we have skiing, snowboarding, Nordic skiing, snow biking, sledding, family activities. In the summer, the average high is 82 degrees. I mean, that's perfect. Sitting at the base of the San Francisco peaks, Flagstaff is just a mile from Grand Canyon National Park, but it is surrounded by other famous, amazingly beautiful landscapes. If you go east, we have the Painted Desert. If we have north, we have the Grand Canyon. If we have just south, we have Red Rocks and Sedona. While you're in Flagstaff, you might as well go see the Grand Canyon. You might as well go see Sunset Crater National Monument, but still enjoy the, the evening activities that we have here in town. I've been here seven years now, and I still feel like a tourist in my own city. I love just checking out what's going on downtown. I would call Flagstaff uh, a, a really an ideal town because it has a small town feel, uh, it feels safe. I love the community spirit of Flagstaff. The people here are extraordinary. They're here because they love this place. Diversity of landscapes, diversity of cultures, diversity of attractions. Flagstaff may have once been an intersection on the way to somewhere else, but today you just might put your own flag in the ground. Now, we'll head to the Museum of Northern Arizona to touch and feel Flagstaff's history and dig deeper into its native story. My name is Robert Brunig, and I'm the president and CEO of the Museum of Northern Arizona here in Flagstaff, Arizona. Its purpose is to understand and interpret the natural and cultural history and art of the Colorado Plateau region. The museum examines the processes which changed this area through time. We're interested in the biodiversity of life. We're interested in how the cultures in this region developed and evolved over time. And we're interested in how it came to be the way it is today. Before European discovery, Flagstaff and the surrounding area were inhabited by a plethora of native tribes, including Navajo, Hopi, Havasupai, Yavapai, Apache, and more. The museum features hundreds of native artifacts from the region to learn about. We have a display of uh, some really nice Navajo textiles. Our museum collection is one of the very best in the world in terms of Navajo weaving. And because we have so many, we like to change out that exhibit quite regularly. So every time you come to the museum, hopefully you're seeing a different set of textiles. A real must-see is the dinosaur exhibit, featuring the cast of a Dilophosaurus, first found in Arizona in 1942. Identified by its double-crested skull, this one's 25 feet tall, but dinosaurs from around here came in all shapes and sizes, like this Skeletosaurus. And it was a dinosaur that was about the size of a chicken. And I really love that dinosaur specimen because it's a way of pointing out to kids that dinosaurs actually came in all kinds of sizes. So for a firm grasp on the history and culture of the American Southwest, swing by the Museum of Northern Arizona and get hands-on. If you're interested in geology, biology, geography, cultural history, 
Native history, all these things, this place is a place to begin your journey. Stick around for more TTH Flagstaff after the break. Time for some trivia. Pluto, a dwarf planet, was discovered at Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff. Which one of these planets is also a dwarf planet? A. Haumea B. Makimaki C. Ceres D. All of the above The answer when we return. Hey everybody, it's Joe and John, the producers of Travel Through History here. And one thing I wanted to mention to you guys was the only way that we're able to even make programming like this is through a charity. And our charity is called the Watch and Learn Foundation, and you can visit it by going to watchandlearn.org. What Joe really means is that we have no idea how to sell the show. And although we've tried in the last four years, it, we haven't been successful at it. We can shoot, write, produce, edit. What else do we do? Pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. Everything that but we can't sell. Yeah. Yep, so if, you, if you're actually somebody listening that can help us sell the show, please call us, send us an email, anything, because we really want to keep doing more of these, and we actually like to pay our bills. But in the meantime, you can go to watchandlearn.org and make a donation. That's right. That's www.watchandlearn.org, and donate and keep shows like Travel Through History and other educational shows on the air. So which one of these is the dwarf planet? The answer is D, all of the above. And all of them are in our solar system. Dwarf planets farther out than Pluto are called Plutoids, like Eris. Back to the show. Just 37 miles from Flagstaff lies a gigantic pockmark on the face of the planet. It's one of the most spectacular sights in the US and a must see when you're in town. 50,000 years ago, when woolly mammoths and giant sloths roamed the planet, the Earth was hit with a meteor so big it would have wiped Arizona off the map, had there been an Arizona, of course. My name is Jeff Beal. I am a tour guide here at Meteor Crater, just outside of Flagstaff, Arizona. 50,000 years ago, a meteor impacted here, came out of the northeastern sky and impacted at 26,000 miles an hour. Basically burst through uh, multiple layers of the sedimentary rock here, uh, got down about 500 feet beneath the surface uh, and exploded, uh, blowing out millions of tons of debris all at once. The first recorded mention of the crater was in 1871 when the army came upon it. They assumed at the time it was a volcano. 20 years later, a geologist named Grove Carl Gilbert doubled down on that theory, suggesting it was from a volcanic steam explosion. They didn't really believe uh, that at that time that a large chunk of metal could fall out of the sky and make such a large crater. His ultimate findings at that time was that it was a steam blowout vent, or it was a steam explosion caused by a volcanic activity that's also in this area. The Meteor Crater is sometimes called the Behringer Crater. That's because in 1903, Daniel Behringer, a mining engineer, actually figured out that the crater was from a meteor. He was met with heavy skepticism in the scientific community. It wasn't until almost 60 years later that legendary scientist Eugene Shoemaker proved that it was from a meteor impact, making it the first definitive proof of an extraterrestrial impact on the Earth's surface. This initial impact, it would have sent out a shockwave across the desert. They think that uh, molten debris rained down for up to seven miles and would have probably killed anything on the surface at that time for up to about 20 to 30 miles. If the video isn't doing it justice, let me break down the size of the crater for you. 
It's three quarters of a mile across and 550 feet deep, meaning you could put the Seattle Space Needle in it and you'd be looking down on it. The crater is large enough, actually, you could play 20 football games on the floor of the crater with over two million people in the stands. A visit to Meteor Crater is a bucket list accomplishment. Not only is there the crater, but the museum inside holds a giant chunk of the meteor you can touch. There's a one-mile tour along the rim where you get to see some of the crater from different areas. There's an old museum out here that uh, was the original museum uh, back in the 1940s when people started driving up here from Route 66. It's just a great opportunity for the family to come out and uh, enjoy a day, a pretty day, a few hours out here in the sun. If a meteor like this one struck the Earth today, it would cause devastation the likes of which the modern world has not seen. Not even Hiroshima comes close. For this reason, it's very important that scientists scan the skies for Earth-destroying meteors, which is a perfect segue to our next segment. Up the hill we climb to get an unobstructed look at the heavens at one of the country's most famous observatories. I'm Kevin Schindler, Communications Manager at Lowell Observatory here in Flagstaff, Arizona. Percival Lowell came from a wealthy family in Boston. He decided to set up an observatory because he wanted to study Mars and the possibility of intelligent life here. And so he ended up setting up in Arizona because the conditions were pretty good for telescope viewing here. Percival Lowell was obsessed with finding what he called Planet X. He died never having found it in 1916. Enter 22-year-old Kansas farm boy, Clyde Tombaugh. Every night he would come up, take pictures with his telescope using photographic glass plates, and then during the daytime, he would analyze these plates on a machine called a blink comparator. If you can imagine, he was looking at areas of sky about the size of your fist held at arm's length. In each one of those areas of sky were about 300,000 dots. And he had to look at every single one to see if it changed position from one day to a few days later. Talk about seeing stars. In February of 1930, after scanning two million of them, Clyde came back from lunch and presumably exclaimed, what the heck is that? So on March 13th, 1930, on what would have been Percival Lowell's 75th birthday, they announced the discovery of Pluto and it made headlines around the world and put Flagstaff on the map. An 11-year-old schoolgirl named Venetia Burney won the contest to name the planet. It would be called Pluto, God of the Underworld, because it was thought to be a frozen, dark wasteland. Also, the letters P and L would honor the observatory's founder, Percival Lowell. But America's first planet discovery wouldn't last forever. Decades after Pluto was discovered, with modern technology, scientists started finding other Pluto-like bodies. And the general thought was, well, if we call Pluto a planet, all these other things should be also. So scientists, for the first time, came up with a definition of what a planet was. Poor Pluto didn't make the cut. It's now in the JV squad known as dwarf planets. But no worries, Lowell continues to pound out major discoveries. It discovered the first evidence of the expanding nature of the universe and helped scout the landing area on the moon for the Apollo astronauts. So here we are at the Pluto Discovery Telescope, and it's an unusual one because it has no eyepiece. You would put the photographic glass plates right here to capture the images. It's got the tube, it's got a lens cap on the end, but you also notice this boxing glove here. And the boxing glove was put here because one of our guys years ago pulled this arm down, hit his head, knocked himself down, saw the wrong kind of stars. So if you're looking for an otherworldly experience while you're in town, 
Keep the space theme going and visit Flagstaff's mark on the cosmos. A visit to Flagstaff is not complete without a trip to Lowell. We have great history, the discovery of Pluto, first of Lowell's controversial observations of Mars and the canals. We have a whole gamut of things to discover here. So come to Lowell Observatory, stand on the shoulders of those giants and explore the universe for yourself. Stick around for more TTH. Flagstaff is nearby the San Francisco Peaks mountain range. Can you name this peak? It's the highest point in Arizona. Is it A, Dorsey Peak, B, DeMeo Peak, C, Humphreys Peak, or D, Edie Peak? The answer when we return. Every week we post new episode information to our website, travelthroughhistory.tv. But we want to hear even more from our viewers. So like us on our Facebook page as well at facebook.com slash travelthroughhistory. Tell us where we should go next or teach us something new. Hey, it's John and Joe, the producers of Travel Through History. The only way we can affordably produce these shows is with an invitation from our tourism board partners. They help show us around and get us where we need to be to tell the story. The Behringer Crater is really a bucket list item. So if you're headed to the Grand Canyon or Sedona or the Crater, Flagstaff is just a great place to hub. Visit flagstaffarizona.org to book your trip. Visit their site to learn more about the city's attractions and start planning a trip. Back to the show. So, could you name the highest point in Arizona? If you answered C, Humphreys Peak, you were right. Hike to the top from the 4.8-mile trail at the Arizona Snow Bowl Ski Resort right in town. On we go with more TTH. Our final location of the day gets us up close and personal with Flagstaff's famous Ponderosa pine trees. Double check your safety ropes, it's a long way to the ground. Hi, I'm Robert Arnold. I'm the lead rescue guide at Flagstaff Extreme here in Flagstaff, Arizona. We're an aerial adventure course up in the trees, complete with zip lines and over 90 obstacles. We have eight zip lines. It goes as high as 60 feet. It goes tree to tree. The obstacles are very progressive in nature. They keep getting harder. And only about 15% of people uh, are able to complete the whole thing. But it's fun for everyone that gets on it. Rain or shine, you'll be navigating your way over suspension bridges, zip lines, swings, slides, and nets. They don't call it extreme for nothing. Give yourself some time. The course is immense. It'll take the average customer two and a half hours to complete the whole course, um, sometimes as much as four hours. Uh, staff members, we've kind of gotten pretty well practiced at it, and we can do it in under an hour. Getting up in the trees is a unique way to experience Flagstaff's native flora. Just maybe don't look down. You're definitely going to have a story to tell after the rope swing. My favorite obstacle here at the course, uh, on the blue course, which is our third course, there's a large Tarzan rope. You're suspended about 35 feet above the ground. And you gotta hold on to this Tarzan rope and you swing across a big gap and land into this large cargo net that you then have to climb up the cargo net to reach the next platform. Flagstaff Extreme is fun for the whole family. There's no way that putting them through this experience isn't going to produce some epic stories. The kids course is very similar. The style of obstacles are just smaller versions of the adult course. 
and the kids get to do the kids course three times. So, you know, first time they're a little timid, but by the last time they go through, they're just flying and having fun. Even though you're on your own up in the clouds, the guides always have their eyes on you and are there to motivate you through the course. We stay on the ground while the customers travel through the trees on their own. But anytime while you're up on the course, uh, we have access ropes and we carry a lot of extra gear so our guides can go get people down from the trees if they get to a spot where they're a little too tired or maybe uh, just not comfortable at the heights. A trip to Flagstaff is all about getting outside into nature. You may be on your way to Sedona or the Grand Canyon after this, but I'm willing to bet the memories you make here last a lifetime as well. Nothing is gonna be quite as interactive as this where you're totally exposed, your fears, your physical ability, and have the chance just to have fun doing something unlike anything you've ever done before in a very safe environment. Stick around for more TTH Flagstaff after the break. Every week we post new episode information to our website, travelthroughhistory.tv. But we want to hear even more from our viewers. So like us on our Facebook page as well at facebook.com slash travelthroughhistory. Tell us where we should go next or teach us something new. Hey everybody, it's Joe and John, the producers of Travel Through History here. And one thing I wanted to mention to you guys was the only way that we're able to even make programming like this is through a charity. And our charity is called the Watch and Learn Foundation, and you can visit it by going to watchandlearn.org. What Joe really means is that we have no idea how to sell the show. And although we've tried in the last four years, it, we haven't been successful at it. We can shoot, write, produce, edit. What else do we do? Pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. Everything that... But we can't sell. Yeah. Yeah, so if, you, if you're actually somebody listening that can help us sell the show, please call us, send us an email, anything, because we really want to keep doing more of these, and we actually like to pay our bills. But in the meantime, you can go to watchandlearn.org and make a donation. That's right. That's www.watchandlearn.org, and donate and keep shows like Travel Through History and other educational shows on the air. The train's leaving the station on today's episode. We got our kicks on Route 66 and found ourselves in Flagstaff, Arizona. Turns out this was no pit stop on the way to the Grand Canyon. We experienced the impact at the enormous meteor crater just outside of town. Then we continued our space theme and learned about the discovery of Pluto at the Lowell Observatory. We got the lowdown on the native people's customs and traditions at the Museum of Northern Arizona and overcame our fear of heights in one of Flagstaff's ever-present pine trees at Flagstaff Extreme Adventure Park. Flagstaff's attractions might be out of this world, but they're not out of the way. Catch you next week on Travel Through History. Thanks for listening to Travel Through History. Don't forget to visit the website to learn more about the places we visited and some quick history. That's www.travelthroughhistory.tv.